0: You're listening to the inaugural edition of Conversations, a monthly series of artist talks and discussions. My name is Eliel D'Arsa and I'm very happy to welcome with me today to the first edition Toronto native, Berlin-based, artist Joshua Schwiebel. Schwiebel's work composed of interventions provoke a confrontation between the representation and the recognition of art. His actions and the respective forms of documentation often indicate points of tension between significance and its construction will received the 2015 Quebec Art Council's Britannian residency in Berlin, which he has recently completed. It's one of many residencies he's undertaken, including the residency at Asuride in Marseille, the We' Art artist-based residency in Beijing, and a thematic residency at the Banff Center for the Arts. The following conversation took place back in December 2015. I want to start off by talking generally about your practice. Um, which some have described as antisocial, as mechanisms of expectation and productivity, as deceptive. As much as these adjectives denote what your work is, um, from the surface I feel as though these characterizations often deter from the depth of your work.
1: Would you say that this is accurate to a certain extent? I think... Interviewers, professors as well, actually, in the past have tried to really pigeonhole me as, like, enfant terrible or, like, provocateur and all of these things. And, I mean, the way I always respond to that is to say, well, my work definitely has triggered, like, really angry responses from people. It has provoked. It has bothered. And why do you think so? Well, because... I think I'm calling things out for what they are Um, because I'm not trying to make art so much as trying to kind of smack art people in the face and be like, you know, like this is a whole lot of bullshit a lot of the time. Um, But it's not like the goal is not to fuck with people. Like, I think that's where the distinction is for me. Like the goal is not mischief. The goal is not to be provocative. The goal is not to be a wild child. Like all of these kinds of like, oh, you're so punk rock, oh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's, I, that's not, I'm not trying to just get attention for being bad. There's a more focused intention for me than that. And certain people get really annoyed at me because I'm not doing things as they expect. Um, and because I'm trying to the best of my ability to hold um, all the political claims that art makes to following through with those claims in the real world and not just in the safety of the representative white cube. Like, you know, we say we're doing political whatever, but what good is that if that stays in this contained space? So I'm, I mean, mostly not working in that space. I'm not really interested in putting objects in a gallery to what to like circulate as art like that's very um, restrictive. I was reading a book earlier last well a year ago actually by Isabel Grau, um, High Price and she's talking about how much more and more and more networked the art world is mm-hmm. and how much more the uh, careers uh, move through social networks. And therefore, how much more conservative or how much more restrictive, like safe art is as a result, because people do not want to burn bridges. Um, And so more and more, we're just trying to do things that people will like. Uh, Because we're more and more, I think right now, we're in a much more unstable position. We're afraid. Um, We don't have a lot of options in terms of, supporting ourselves financially in terms of like it's a very competitive field right now and I think people yeah we're all trying to get any edge we can and that edge is often just social networking and so we want to be professional we want more opportunities and we don't want to burn bridges Mm -hmm. to speak generally
2: and that something has to do with you know, the sort of the art market, the global
1: market now, Um, the fact that art is really quite intertwined with, you know, like commodities. Yeah, but the market is also not a a separate entity anymore. The market is also really intertwined with at all levels of art careers now. There isn't really, you know, more and more uh, the distinction between different Institutions and different gallery, artist-run center, museum, commercial gallery. Those systems are very much blurred together now. And the point of the project I did with Michael Lexer's name was about just showing how susceptible artist-run centers, Articul being sort of like an example of that, mm-hmm. like how susceptible they are to commercial success and to success in general when they profess to have a mandate that is about supporting emerging and radical practices. And so that project was about just calling like seeing what would happen if i put a commercially successful artist into the call for submissions if that would lure them out of their out of out of this sort of position and 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 it did and it showed exactly just how blurred and muddy the waters are between commercial success and, and how success is becoming a very homogenous term. And I think people get it angry because I'm not so uh, cowed. I'm not so intimidated by the social network way things are. And I feel like I'd rather make a really strong idea than make safe work that, that circulates now. I'd rather make work that goes and, and says something that I believe in, and, and, and that occasionally, unfortunately, means I have to burn certain bridges. Like, I just expect that it, that if I'm lucky, I'll get grants uh, and residencies, and that's the only sort of, those are the sort of platforms that support more experimental non-material practices such as my own. You know, and like some artists run centers might give me the chance to show documentation of these works, but mm-hmm. for now, my practice is not so exhibition based and it's not certainly not gallery based but
2: whether the work is conceptually crafted or not it 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 seems to reduce the performative elements to their essence but in a non-linear sort of way and you know especially when you're looking at space the material value and the tangible and relationship to institutions social relations uh labor structures art as a school of thought and you know um and how the art performs its own hypocrisy and these are your own words yeah etc your work creates a, a liaison between the often sort of like incomplete or disruptive dialogue that takes place between communities the public and institutions so would you say that uh branching from that that your practice is about social relations as much as it is maybe looked at as sort of anti-social as well. Um, And I'm interested in this duality of both terms and their presence in your work as tension, the social, anti-social. More specifically, how they operate from outside the field of tension where your work begins and ends. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, In other words, like, the spaces in which your work exists before it's activated, and after it's completed, and and, mm-hmm. and its own state of perpetual
1: existence. I mean, I'm gonna to respond to this, and like maybe ask the question again after I respond to it. Sure. Just because there's a lot of, uh, and it
2: I, is packed. It's fully packed.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot I'm just thinking about, and I don't know if I'll actually get from point A to point B and answer your question at the same time. Um, but I feel like there's sort of like a a trajectory or an arc that I experience through the work um, where I feel like the work definitely changes. And I don't know if it changes from the outside, but it changes for me in terms of how I feel about it or what I think it is or what I think it's doing or has done. Because I think before I do it, I think I have, like, there's just like, I have to do this. I feel like it makes... I think about it really carefully and I, I really find when I come across an idea that just makes sense, I have to do it. And it feels like there's just no escape from doing this. Um, In the doing of it, that changes completely. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is so, fr- like I just attack it. For, I, I, I embody all of the negative voices that I feel. Th- in anticipate um, but then afterwards it changes again and I feel really like oh yeah that was obvious and uh, really like I feel really proud of it um, but in the event itself there's like this like you said tension which is really hard to sustain because as it's happening all of the attacks that I anticipate either don't occur in which case i'm like well maybe i'm not hitting the nerve like maybe it's not working or when they or they occur and they're 100 times worse than i anticipate and then i'm like i never even considered that this would happen and i feel so bad for not anticipating it um but then afterwards i think when a larger public sort of encounters it that sense that i had at the beginning comes back again um i also i want to like just Gestural, performative, those kinds of things. Um, And social, -social. antisocial. I'll get, I'll get to that, but I just want to like, I'm really nostalgic slash inspired by the kind of work that was going on in the sixties and early seventies. That work was really so clean and so clear and so unencumbered by consequences. Uh, People were, trying things in a really energetic and exciting way and I think that there wasn't the fear that there is now about consequences or about like networking or about has it been done before about originality about your name like all of these things that we're dealing with now because there's just like an explosion of artists Um, the kinds of things that I read about in Lucid apart's book about like called six years, or in further research into what was going on in that time. I'm just like, wow, people just had a very, like, I'm going to try to do something that exists as three points on a map. That's the work. Or like, I'm going to lock the audience into the gallery. That's the work. And, and that kind of directness of expression and simplicity really um, excites and humbles me
0: because
1: I feel like I'm you know, even though I'm trying to do something in that spirit I often end up dressing it up in a lot more language and a lot more material documentation and effects and like trying to make it like transform it to circulate in, in, in more conventional context like whatever, like people and maybe I'm romanticizing this but I don't feel like that was A concern 40, 50 years ago, as it is now. Um, And I don't think it really, at that point in time, needed to be a discipline either, needed to be pinpointed as gestural or performative or social practice or any of these things. It was just an idea expressed as clearly as possible. And that's really, for me, the ideal is to make ideas speak without cluttering them down with Material, And I don't, I mean, I feel like performance, performance practice is really like become kind of characterized by the body of the author being present. Mm-hmm. I'm never, if I can help it, present in my own work. I'm always delegating and substituting and um, circulating objects that sort of exist in a social context, exist within a context of value or non-value, like, valuelessness. I'm definitely not a performance artist, but I feel like a lot of those artists from the 60s and 70s that I really uh, anchor myself with were not performance artists either, but if we look at their work now and we try to um, categorize it uh, retrospectively, because it because we've sort of snapped back into a much more disciplinary and object-based and representational kind of period right now, I think we'd categorize that work as proto-social practice or, I mean, that's why I just say I'm a conceptual artist, Mm -hmm. because even though that term has also been really um, watered down, the originary conceptual art is sort of where I identify with the closest. Joseph Henry wrote about, my practice as antisocial. And I think it was never meant to be antisocial on its own, but sort of the opposite of social practice. Like we censor ourselves because of this constant networking and this constant sort of like fact that our practices often develop through social networks. Um, And the fact that I'm destroying, like actively destroying social networks by making work that calls people in power out for being hypocrites um, yeah, in that case, it is antisocial. <laughs> um, on the other side of things, as as far as social practice goes, like the practices that are sort of about soft social work, I would say.
2: But, so you're calling people out. Like, uh, example, your last work at Госpartum was calling the institution out. Yeah. Um, which kind of... You put in, you in a, in, a, in a very crucial position in relationship to the funders and the institution itself.
1: And put me in a very vulnerable position. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Um, do you feel like by doing that every time you're operating within the public sort of institutional domain and pushing yourself towards the private, and when I say private, like eventually you're going to have, if you're not getting the grants, if you're not getting the residencies for the type of work that you're doing, then you're going to have to seek private funding or uh, alternative money, which is totally like rooted in the commercial
1: world, which is the world that you don't want to be in. So, we're, we're what do I think I'm doing? <laughs> like, what's my strategy or how do I see myself surviving? And I,
2: and I think you're. I'm, I'm, I'm not really interested in practicalities. I'm more interested in these spaces. I mean, for me, again, there are spaces, you create spaces of tension as. In, in the practice, within the work, but also the way you operate as an artist within, you know, the, the, the fabric itself. Do you think that this whole duality of, like, public-private, I have to operate within that, or do you think you could... Uh, uh, your practice could function within its own space, and what is that space, if, if, if say, it existed? And um, do you think about that stuff? Like, do you think
1: about... I mean, I tear myself into shreds about that stuff. But at the same time, I think that I think that institutions and funding bodies are people. I don't think that they're anything without the people who are on the juries and who are the administrators. And I think that I need the funding bodies only insofar as they support my practice. You know, like, yes, I need money, but I don't need institutional support that is not actually support. It's just pressure to conform or eroding my practice in a way. I need support. I need the kind of support that actually understands what I'm doing and believes in it.
2: And if you weren't getting institutional support and you were making work on your own, you don't have uh, to conform to any institutional
1: structures... Uh, do you think the work would so um... it would be a different it would i mean you're right like i and i have said this in other interviews or in other conversations as well, where it's just like I work in tension with institutions, but I need the institution to be in tension with mm-hmm. um and i I said to my one of my my friends we got to really happy and delighted because we realized that my practice is entirely or at least often based on shitting where I eat. (laughs) But, I I mean, what I was trying to say about, like, needing support is, like, whatever. I don't don't have... I'm not... uh, Like, support is actually, like, sincere engagement with what I do. It's not trying to... Like, on the one hand, I need... I need, or I think my work is most successful in a context in which I can be critical. Um, But on the other hand, uh, that criticality comes out of a disappointment. (laughs) It comes out of expecting the institution to support my practice, expecting them to understand what I'm doing and to not ask these ridiculous things of me, to not put me in situations where I feel like a fraud, because, on the one hand, I'm supposed to, or sup- I am somebody who, who be- who's very idealistic. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, as, as happened at the Kunstlerhaus Botanian, uh, they're employing un- unpaid interns. And it's just like, as an idealistic person who uh, is really like cares deeply about the potential of art to do something better in the world or to make the world, like, like to produce uh, a community that is politically conscious as much as possible. I, w- I, I cannot accept working in an institution that that doesn't see a problem with that. Um, Maybe that means I won't work again. I considered that very, very much a possibility when I embarked on this project. I was just like, well, maybe this is it. Like, maybe this is my last project because I'm going to be partly like humiliating a very well-reputed institution in a, in a central city in, in the art world. Like, that's a bad move.
2: Let's talk about the
1: piece, actually, uh, maybe in a more descriptive way for those who um, didn't get a chance to uh, experience it. Um, Sure. I envision the piece more as a shift in power or a calling out than any kind of gallery experience. Um, So maybe I will tell you what the intervention was and you can describe the walking through because I actually, like could not understand it as an art show until I had a photographer come in and photograph it and then I could see it visually. But for the longest time, it was just like, it didn't exist spatially or in any public way. It existed as a transfer of power, you know? So, like, the project and the exhibition are very separate in my mind. Um, But the project was just to use... I had a, a budget, an exhibition fee that was a discrete amount, uh that could only be used uh for materials or services that would somehow uh contribute to a project my work in the residency at the Quinsler House. And uh I decided that I would use that material, that, that budget as a material to use the money itself. Um, as money and to use that to divide seven ways amongst the total number of interns who were working in the office during the year that I was in residency and to pay them so I split it up seven ways and each intern got one seventh of my money, my budget and then uh, I disclosed that intention by way of a letter that I sent to the artistic director and the residency director and indicated in the letter that I would be exhibiting the letter and the proof of the transfers as my final project. And that, that for me is that and the financial like transactions to to like doing, like actually doing those transfers was the work, and that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the exhibition was sort of... Uh...
0: Yeah. But you did something, I mean, you did interview
2: with the space. I'm interested in hearing about how, how you set it up. And...
1: Sure, yeah, okay. Um, well, uh, I decided in the end, like I was always really fixated on putting uh, a door in front of my space because the showrooms in the gallery for the residents all the artists show uh, simultaneously like they rotate five three to five artists at a time so it kind of has for me at least it feels a bit like a mall um, because it's not a group show there are five sort of galleries but each gallery is open to each other Um, and I it wasn't that I don't like that bleed between spaces. Um, But I felt that my piece needed to be demarcated because it has so much to do with inside and outside already with like borders between the institutional proper and the artistic proper. Um, So I really, I felt it was very important to build a wall and a door that isolated my room and made it ambiguous which uh, characteristic, which which it was, whether it was uh, administrative, institutional, or an artwork, an art exhibition, um, and then inside that that defined space, I uh, I set up a, a, a quasi replica of the uh, reception area of the administrative offices of the Kunsthaus, uh and then. That was like a functional office space. Uh, And then during the hours that the gallery was open, which overlapped with the hours that the office was functional, um, I moved the interns down into the gallery as office where they conducted, uh, performed their duties that they would normally enact in the real office. So they were just working Uh, from this remote gallery office. Um, And through doing that, I I wanted to make, both to make their work visible to a general public, but more than that, to withdraw their presence from the office and to make their work uh, visible to the other employees in the office and to revalue it through that withdrawal um, yeah, because if if, if if they're really not worth any money, then removing them shouldn't compromise the office in any way.
2: But do you think by putting the interns in, in the gallery space or creating a workspace for them on display um, kind of somehow staged them or objectified them? Did they become performance, uh, performers themselves uh, um, or... What do you think their role became after? I mean, now that you've done the show for a while and you have, like, not a while, but you've had time to reflect upon it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was uh, definitely a big struggle, like, point of uh, uncertainty for me. Um, Whether by putting them into a gallery that was my work, Um, and therefore was accruing cultural capital for me, whether that was undermining uh, this sort of sincerity or um, integrity of my gesture. And I still, I definitely feel ambivalent about it, but I think that ambivalence is also a very uh, key emotion drive, like, it's a very big part of my practice, and I feel like the tension that 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 exists between showing them and showing internships in general is not there's um, not result, but um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I think that they were not like as much as they were inside my gallery, they were not working for me, and I think. Maybe this is a coincidence, maybe I was lucky, but I don't think so. I think that any young person who is in a position of doing an internship in a gallery is also an intelligent, committed, articulate person. And I was very lucky with the interns who were working there because they were those things. And they were, uh, both of them, very excited and stimulated by being in that position And by being themselves in that position, like there wasn't any constraints on how they would behave. And I just said to them, just speak from your position, speak from your experience. And I think that as far as that went, that wasn't about them speaking for me or me speaking for them. It was more of a collaboration.
2: I'm just going to shift a little bit backwards, but stay on the same subject, like within the same work, considering it's the most recent one, I mean, generally speaking, it, it is important for artists to engage um, with issues pertaining to the, to their own welfare and relationship also to institutions, but also, I thought your piece successfully did that without a sense of sensationalism. You know, you brought that very successfully to the forefront um, from the perspective of the actual labor conditions at, at the, at the Um which is, which is an essential element in any social practice to like, engage the particular conditions and questions, even after the dialogue or the exhibition is over. Now, do you agree that, you know, back to that space after the work is kind of deactivated? I mean, the minute the intern walked out of the gallery and the piece was over, that dialogue is not necessarily, you know, it's not over, but it's disrupted. It's not on display anymore. It's not exposed. So do you agree that it's also it's important for you to, once you engage with a community or a person or a condition or an institution, that you continue that engagement uh, after the work is over or after the de- activation of, of, of that space of tension?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of social practice-based artists come under fire for not continuing to engage with an issue after the project is over. Um, and for sort of being freelance activists in a way or opportunists both Um, I really doubt that the Kunstlerhaus will change its practice of using unpaid labour I think that they don't see a problem with it and they're under a real or imaginary financial gun and for them the goal is to I don't know. I don't, I don't want to speak about that. But, yeah. like.
2: But also, I mean, there's no set laws, I, I believe, in Germany that uh, say that you have to pay interns. At all. At all.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, they are doing something legal. Yeah. It's legal to have an intern for no longer than three months. And so that's why they rotate them every three months. But again, why are our institutions doing the minimum legal requirements? Why aren't they doing more with the potential of, like, being the institution that they want to be instead of the institution that they need, like the least possible political investment or the least possible radicality. Why don't we not have radical institutions? That's a very... I, I, I don't know. I think that's that's an important question we need to ask ourselves after 50 well, years.
2: why are we also criticizing, say, the German ministry of uh, labor well, or economy? Like
1: exactly. That. I mean, that's what I, when I had a meeting with the director that was a very, that was like the crux of the project because he was really angry and we had to have a meeting in order for me to explain to him that it wasn't a personal shaming project, um, but it was a more broad and... Current issue than simply the council house. Um, I said to him, like, it's a real shame that you are um, demanding conformity from an artist who does who 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 wishes to present this to the public instead of demanding higher wages from your funders in order to be able to pay all of your employees. Um, that being said, I think this project and my projects in general, the goal is not concrete change so much as to pinpoint and identify and exacerbate a hypocrisy that already exists and to make that hypocrisy explode into the real like the administrative the 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 context that it is sort of buzzing around under the surface of um but like the afterlife of the project is is in the art realm wholly you know like the pre-life I don't know, like the incubation stage of the project is going to be rejected. Like the director of the institution said to me, this is not an art project. And it wasn't like it was an art project because I'm an artist. But what I was making was not a materially recognizable form of art.
2: Do you think that has something to do within the German context? Like within the sort of Berlin art scene or say you were to do this piece in Toronto and... Um, Do you think the initial response and the final response would have been the same, Uh, being in a city that's more multicultural and have a viable social practice, just using Toronto as an
1: example? I think these projects are really institution-specific. I don't know if I would have done this project had I been in Toronto. It's very, very hard to say because the project came to me because of the context that I was in. And I, I, I just, I can't say how another institution hypothetically would react to the same proposition, True. especially now that I've already done it, because I wouldn't do it again. Um, but, but you're like
2: I'm done. Well, I
1: no, I mean once it's been done, it just becomes a career move. It doesn't become an. A, there's no risk in it anymore. Um, but yeah, the the response was this is not art, and so the question for me and. Many of these, the, the projects that I've done like this, you know, yeah, they're not art when I'm doing them because I've constantly been told every time I do one of these projects, this is how is this an art project? Why don't you do, so, you know, why don't you do a philosophy degree? How can you, how, how dare you waste these resources? Like, those have been the most negative responses I've gotten. However, the afterlife of the project, it only circulates within art. And it's artists who are interested in it. It it gets historicized lim- in a limited way, of course, um, in art because the audience is art, because the context is art, and it it's about art. So, like in terms of that before, middle, after thing that you were talking about, it it definitely, I think the more uh, in the past the project is, the more it will be recognized as art, as I think conceptual art in the past has been as well. You know, I think I'm always interested in doing something that won't be recognized as art right away because I feel like the more attention I put art under, the more artiness it will accrue in <laughs> in, 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 in its future. And, and
2: the work is going to survive in documentation. I mean, this is one example yeah. of it surviving, but also in writing and publishing. I know you're working on a book.
1: Yeah, it's a big part of it. Each of the interns who were part of the project have written a text about their double role, and that I think was the most exciting part of the book project, was the interns inside the project, like as both subject and object, writing about being both at once. Um, And that's a theme that's consistently occurred in my work as well, this sort of doubling between experience and reflection. Um, And being both at once is impossible. It's a very dissociative state. So I'm really interested in in reflections or iterations of that condition. Um, so yeah, the book is the book is really exciting and I think an integral part of the actual project uh, because it's just like reflections on and records of like through various permutations as well, not simply art theoretical essays, but also more literary projects and artistic projects. And then I think that the interns themselves are also another sort of uh, point of contact with the project that hopefully will be in a, a long-term impact. <laughs> I hope.
2: I, I, I think it'll be remembered. It's going to be, it's gonna be uh, archived by the institution itself because Battalion will have a series of copies as a aware, as yeah. but also it's, it's co-published by Archive Cabinet, which will yeah. be carrying copies in Berlin. Tell me about your launches in Montreal and in Toronto.
1: Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've confirmed that I'm launching it in Montreal at uh, Forma on February the 4th, and then hopefully not confirmed, but I'm, I'm almost confirmed that it will be launched at uh, another storybook shop in Toronto, which is a bookstore that sort of focuses on labor issues uh, in the West End and on the 7th of February. So people should check your website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to do a Facebook invite, but I suppose I could put it on my website as well. Good idea. <laughs> it's a great opportunity to show up and have a glass
2: of wine and pick up the
1: book. Definitely. Um, definitely. But also just, like, if anybody wants to talk, just send me an email.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm not that kind of asshole. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, thank you for today, Josh. This was
0: awesome. Thanks, Ali. To talk to you again very soon in yeah. our future works. Stay tuned in April for the second edition of Conversations with New York-based artist Brendan Fernandez. For more information, please visit a l i e l d a r s a I would like to thank Johannes Malfati and artist Selva Oriani for their generous support and time. Thank you very much for listening.